Hey, and welcome to the Resound Church podcast. Whether it's your first or your 40th time tuning in, we're so glad you're here. And we pray that you get something powerful from today's sermon. Hey, good to see you. Doing all right? Amazing. My name is Mason. If you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we're going to go through, uh, come around, open up the Word of God this morning and let the Holy Spirit speak to us. Uh, we're currently in the middle of a series. Who knows what the series is called? Hebrews. It's a creative title for a series, is it not? We're just going to just do the book. So it's fine. Seven weeks, 13 chapters. Uh, this morning, I'm going to look at chapter three in particular, a little bit of chapter four, but mainly uh, chapter three. Um, if you want to read along with the series, you can get uh, something at the connection uh, desk that will show you uh, the readings for the week. Otherwise, you can scan the QR code and it's on there electronically as well. Um, and if you've been reading along, one of the things that I should point out with the book of Hebrews is that it's easy to get confused with the book of Hebrews because of who the author is assumed to be writing to. He is assumed to be writing to Jews um, that understood a lot about the Old Testament and the law and and Moses and all that kind of stuff. And there's a lot of knowledge that is already assumed um, because he's writing to Jews, most likely, that have then come to know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. And so uh, if you get confused reading the book of Hebrews, it's okay. That's why every week we're going to come up here and we're going to do the chapters and explain them a little bit. Is that cool? All right. Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to read the whole chapter because why not? Um, Hebrews is full of encouragements and warnings. Encouragements and warnings. Encouragements and challenges. Challenges and encouragements. Warnings and encouragements. Encouragements and challenges. What's the book of Hebrews about? (laughs) Warnings, challenges, encouragements. And chapter 3 is no different. So let's read chapter 3. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling. So he's speaking to Christians. He's not speaking to the unsaved. He's speaking to Christians. Holy means set apart. Heavenly calling means that you've come in an alignment with Jesus and he's calling you uh, back into your original standing relationship with God. So he's talking to Christians. Fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as the apostle and high priest. He was faithful To the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in God's house, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honour than Moses, just as the builder of the house has greater honour than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken Uh, by God in the future. That's important. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house and we are his house if indeed we hold firmly to our the confidence and the hope in which we glory. So as the Holy Spirit says, now he's quoting Psalms 95 here, which the original audience would have understood. Uh, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in rebellion. During the time of testing in the wilderness, he's talking about the Israelites in the wilderness coming into the promised land, um, where your ancestors tested and tried me, uh, though for 40 years they saw what I did, that is why I was angry with that generation. And I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my way. So I declared an oath in my anger that they shall never enter my rest. Rest can also be translated to the promised land. 
Uh, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. Uh, As it's been said today, if you hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts as you did in rebellion. Who were they who heard and rejected? Were they not all who Moses led out of Egypt? And whom was he angry with for 40 years? Was it not those with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. A little bit of chapter four. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of us is found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did, important as well. Uh, But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Let's pray this morning. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me this morning, that anything that's of me would fall to the ground, anything that's of you would pierce the hearts of people listening. Jesus, would you open our hearts this morning to your word? Would you speak to us and would you do what only you can do and transform our hearts and minds this morning? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. So who's confused? (laughs) A little bit. A little bit. Uh, Where do we start here? Where do we begin? Where do we begin? Hebrews, uh, he is writing to Jews who understood pretty much most of what he was talking about. He is talking about and he's drawing a parallel uh, between Moses and the Israelites and the people he is writing to in that day, right? And the first distinction he makes is this, is that Jesus is greater than Moses, which in our context, that's okay, right? Because we go, oh, of course, of course Jesus is greater than Moses because we don't really have that much idea or we, don't, we never really followed Moses. But to the people that he was writing to, Moses was their guy for so many years. He was the father of the law. He wrote, led by God, he wrote the law. He instituted the sacrificial system for the forgiveness of sins alongside with God. He was the very one that led their people out of slavery and into freedom, into the promised land, right? And so Moses was their guide, but he's drawing the distinction that Jesus was greater than Moses. Why? Because everything that Moses did for the Israelites was simply a foreshadowing of everything that Jesus has come to do for the world. Jesus came and he fulfilled the law. He became the sacrificial lamb of God that took away the sins of the world. And through him, we are led into freedom from our sin and our guilt and our shame all the way into God's rest, his promised land. And so he's making the distinction, listen, Moses did all this stuff, but the reason Moses did this was to foreshadow what Christ was about to do for the entire world. So he's saying to them, listen, Moses, uh, Jesus is above Moses. Moses was a foreshadowing, a faithful servant of the house, but Jesus is the son of the house. He is the Lord of the house. He is the builder of the house. He is the visible image of the invisible God. As he makes that distinction, he also draws a parallel between the Israelites that Moses led and the people of God today. He draws the parallel. You have to understand the Israelites were led by Moses into their freedom, 
but they did not enter God's rest, the promised land, because of, as the Bible puts it here in Hebrews verse 8, verse 12 and verse 15, because of their hardened, sinful, unbelieving hearts. And then he draws the parallel. Now that you have been set free by Jesus, you too, here's the warning, you too may not enter the rest of God, the promised land of God, because of, as the writer of Hebrews puts it, your sinful, hardened, unbelieving heart. Which sounds intense. And it kind of is a little bit intense. And remember, he's not talking to non-Christians. He's not talking to people who don't follow Jesus. He's talking to Jesus followers. He's talking to people who have professed their faith in Jesus. But it sounds intense, right? Sinful, hardened, unbelieving heart. And because it sounds so intense, you and I are often quick to dismiss that from being us. We dismiss it. Oh, sinful, hardened. That's not me. I go to church on a Sunday and I, you know, read my Bible sometimes and, and I pray and I'm, I'm nice to people. That's, that's not me because we assume that because that's an intense statement that something intense must happen that thrusts our heart into such a state as to be sinful, hardened and unbelieving. But can I put to you this morning that it's not often the intense situations and when we face adversity that thrust our heart into being hardened, sinful and unbelieving, but it's often the gradual, unintentional, unnoticeable wearing down of our faith over time without the intentional renewal of that faith that leads you and I into a place where we could potentially have a sinful, hardened, unbelieving heart. Do you know the the thing about things happening gradually is that they happen gradually? That's profound, I know. It happens gradually. Because it happens gradually, we often don't notice it. Because you like stories that embarrass me so much. Uh, There was this one time, I was about 15, at a basketball stadium in Bendigo. The Bendigo Braves had made the finals, and I'd followed them for long years, and they had never, and they made the finals, so the stadium was packed thousand people. Um, I was sitting right up the top in the nosebleed section with my family. And as I was sitting there watching uh, the first half of basketball, there was a really tall guy sitting in front of me because when you watch basketball, there's often tall guys in the crowd. Um, He was sitting in front of me. So I was like propped up on my leg um, and I was sitting kind of on my leg, on my knee, propped up to watch the game. As I was watching the game, it got about a minute to half time. And if you've ever been to any sporting event, if you want dim sims at half time, you've got to go early. So I was like, Mum, give me the money so I can, and I'll go get us food before there's a big line at half time. She's like, yeah, sure. Unbeknownst to me, because I was propped up on my leg for two quarters of basketball, this thing happened which the actual thing that happens is you compress your nerves and you lose circulation and your leg goes to sleep. Right? Your leg goes to sleep or dead leg or your leg goes to sleep. Um, except I didn't know that my leg had gone to sleep because it happened so gradually over the two quarters until I tried to use it and it didn't work. I grabbed the money off mum, I stepped over, I took my first step down the grandstand and my leg buckled a little bit. I caught myself with my other leg, but then as I put my leg down again, it just stopped working. 
it had fallen asleep and it had done me an injustice as I fell on my face, on my stomach, with my hands out in front of me, still holding the cash. Amen. I then proceeded to fall all the way down from the top of the grandstands all the way down. About halfway down the grandstands, the stairs started to catch my pants. This is a true story. You can ask my mum, who was like a cackling hyena at the back. Started to catch my pants about halfway down. And as I went down the stairs, it pulled my pants down. So picture this. There's 30 seconds left to go in the biggest game in Bendigo's history that we've ever had. And there I am falling down the thing. And as I get to the bottom, my pants are around my ankles. And so I have to stand up in front of everyone, pull my pants up. And then like a 14-year-old, walk like nothing had happened. Because this is how I walk when nothing's happened. You think that was embarrassing? Try walking back up the stairs to a bunch of cackling hyenas, which is my family, who have never let me live it down. The point of the story is this, so that you remember this, is that my leg fell asleep gradually. I didn't actually notice that my leg had fallen asleep until I needed it. And can I put to you that faith can be the same way? That you don't know that it's fallen asleep until you need it. And I put to you that it's not adversity and hard times that thrust your heart into a sinful, unbelieving, hardened state, but it's often intense adversity that simply reveals the state of your faith. The state of your faith. And so the writer of Hebrews here is encouraging them with this question, how is the state of your heart? Like I say, sometimes intense, horrible things happen to people that, you know, you could argue, you know, thrust them into their hearts to be hardened. But, you know, I think it's more often than not, as our faith, you know, continues to wear down over time and we don't think about it until all of a sudden you wake up and you realize that you believe God for nothing anymore. Because your faith in him and his abilities have worn down and your faith in you and your abilities has gone up. So can I ask you a question? And because the writer of Hebrews challenges, you know, that gives me the permission to challenge. (laughs) How's your heart? And what are you believing God for? In your heart of hearts, is he, is he still who he claims to be? Is he still who he claims to be? How's your heart this morning? Now, I'll trust you, there's, encu- there's encouragements coming, so it's fine. Actually, in fact, the Hebrew gives us probably two main encouragements to keep our heart from that state or getting into that state or recognizing that state, which is pretty cool. But before we get on to them, let me talk to you about something a little foundational thing about your faith. About your faith. Your faith does not originate within you. Faith in in Jesus does not originate in any of us. Faith comes from God. And faith does not come by seeing. Look at the Israelites. You know, I've heard of people say before, like, why doesn't God... Why doesn't he just, you know, flex a muscle, so to speak, and 
reveal himself, do something crazy so that we could all see and then we could all put our faith in him and then it would be great and it'd be amazing and then if we saw him do something incredible, then we wouldn't get into a sinful, hardened, unbelieving state and it would be, it would be amazing, right? So why doesn't God just do something crazy to reveal himself? Well, the truth of the matter is he has. The incarnation of Jesus is probably the biggest muscle flex of all time, that the one uh, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-holy creator of the universe wrapped himself up in flesh and blood to die for you. But if we look at the Israelite story, God did flex a lot of muscles. They saw themselves freed from Egypt. They saw 10 plagues. The Nile turned to blood supernatural signs and wonders. When they got to the Red Sea and there was no way, what did God do? He flexed another muscle and he pushed the ocean to the side and they walked through an ocean. God revealed himself. They all saw it. But then when they get to the promised land, they have hardened, unbelieving, sinful hearts. So can I put to you... Faith doesn't come by seeing. Romans says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So faith doesn't start from you. It comes from God. How does it come? It comes because God speaks and then you and I can apply faith, trust and belief in what he has said. Because seeing is not believing. Seeing is seeing. Seeing doesn't take faith. They didn't need faith to walk through the river to walk through the Red Sea, they saw that the Red Sea was open. They could just walk. What they needed faith in what God had said was, was when there was inhabitants of a land that they did not think that they could take. That's when they needed to apply faith to what was what? Said. So faith comes by hearing. If you understand all of this, none of us have seen Jesus in the flesh. We have all done what? Heard the message of God and we have applied faith. To it, And so for all of you, and sometimes me who sits there and says, well, God, if you would just do something, then maybe I could have more faith. It doesn't work like that. Faith comes by you applying belief and trust and hope in what he has already said. Which is to say this, for us as Christians, if God did nothing else in your life, you have still heard the word of God and can have faith to move forward. You can have faith to move forward. So let's get to the encouraging part, shall we? Hebrews verse 12 says this. See to it, brother and sister, that's you and I, that's Christians, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart, that's what we're talking about, that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long, it is, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. That's the antidote. See to it that none of you have this, but see to it that each of you encourage each other while today is called today. As a Christian, if you want to live by faith and not fall into a trap of having a sinful, hardened heart, all that kind of stuff... Uh, you, you know, turning away from God, then you cannot d- diminish the power of meeting together. We cannot diminish the power of the church, which is us collectively, corporately coming together to worship God and encourage each other. It is the antidote 
to be around other people of faith, to be encouraged, to be built up. The word there in the, the word there, encourage, also uh, loosely is connected with uh, uh, the word, ex- the exaltation of the word, the encouragement of the word. And so, how do you and I encourage each other? We encourage each other with this: not our opinions, not our biases. Not our prejudices, not what we learnt off Google, not, not just because we had an epiphany about something and we thought that it sounded good and we thought that it sounded like a good idea. We actually encourage each other by this. We cannot diminish the importance of us gathering together and coming around this. For this brings life. It encourages us. It builds us. And there is importance with what we're doing here, standing up and encouraging with the Word of God. But the, the mission of the exaltation of the Word is not just left to the pastors or the people who speak on stage. That's your mission as well. To be in the Word, to encourage each other. For what it says is, so that you do not fall into sinful, deceitful ways. So sin does not lead you into deceitful ways. Can I tell you something? Sin is deceitful. Sin is active. Sin draws. It's deceitful. And so you wonder why when we fall, fall into sin, like we feel like people start revealing or when it gets revealed to you, you feel like you've been deceived. It's because it's deceitful. And it will lead you away from God. So why is encouraging us with the word important? Because it will actually recenter your hearts to the Word of God. When you isolate yourself from community, when you isolate yourself from the Word of God, your heart is deceitful among all else. And so we start to give in to sin's desires, sin's thoughts, sin's patterns, and we begin to go a little bit astray. And the temptation is to withdraw ourselves from community that is encouraging each other by the Word. Why? Because the Word has a funny way of slapping us back into line. And the truth will set you free, but first of all, the truth will probably annoy and upset you first. You know, the word is sharper than a two-edged sword, able to divide in your spirit. We should come to this book, not with our prejudices and with our biases. And if we believe, uh, you know, that it is the inspired, infallible, inerrant word of God, then we should come to it as a blank canvas and let it speak to us. Sure, it encourages us and it builds us up and it gives us faith. But sometimes it's supposed to slap you around as well. Sometimes it's supposed to hammer out of you things that God never put there. Beliefs, ideas. We shouldn't take our world experience to the Bible. We should take the Bible to our world experience. That's how we encourage each other. So how do you not fall into sinful, deceitful, hard and heart ways? Well, the first way that Hebrews gives us is to all of us encourage each other in the word. To speak word over each other. To preach the word over each other. To read the word with each other. To encourage each other with the word of God. It's one thing to encourage each other. Oh, Joey, you played the drums great today. I hate your hat, but I like your glasses. Uh, well, that's like a backhanded compliment. Your socks look great. It's one way to encourage someone like that. It's a completely different thing to encourage someone with the Word of God because the Word of God does not return void till it's set out, till it's accomplished what it has been set out to do in a person's life. And so if you're not in a small group, get in a small group that reads the Word. 
get with Christians that read the word, that inspire each other, that, in, that challenge each other. In, in your own life, read the word. And do not dis- diminish the power of gathering and the power of his church. For it keeps bringing our heart into a line when we align ourselves with believers and people of faith. The band can come back up almost done. The last encouragement that he gives in Hebrews is this. It's in verse 1. And it says this. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in a heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as the apostle and the high priest. Let me just read it one more time, just in case some people in the back missed it. Fix your thoughts... On Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. Do you know there is actually no other greater encouragement in Scripture than for you and I to realize that every day, every moment, every circumstance, every situation, we should simply fix our eyes on Jesus. We should fix our thoughts on Jesus. We should fix our hearts on Jesus. There is no other greater encouragement in Scripture then for you and I to fix our thoughts on Jesus, to fix our eyes on Jesus, to fix our hearts on Jesus. For He is where faith comes from. To fix your thoughts towards Him. To believe again that He is who He said He is. Who do we believe that He is? We believe that He is the Apostle. Which means this, that he has been sent by God to what? To ultimately reveal God's character and heart for you and I. When you read the Old Testament, there's something you learn in the reading and the studying of the Old Testament. That the Old Testament is not a static record of God, but it is a moving revelation of God to the final revelation, which is Christ on the cross. It's called historical arc. Over time, our revelation of God grew until the final revelation of Christ on the cross. Who is God? He is Christ on the cross. For He is the visible image of the invisible God. All things created in Him, through Him and for Him. The fullness of God dwelling in Him. Christ is the final revelation of who, of who God is. He is the apostle, the one sent by God to show you and I that God is for us and not against us, that He loves us, that He died for us, that He's He's rich in grace and mercy and His kindness leads us to salvation. But He's also our high priest, which means this, that through Him, He had made a way for you and I to have a relationship with Him. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Why is it the greatest encouragement in Scripture to fix your thoughts and your eyes on Jesus? Because whatever has your attention dictates how you live. Let me give you an example. I've been a youth pastor for 10 years. And um, there used to be this like running joke with youth kids because youth kids would come up to me and be like, mate, I've got something to tell you. And it all, they all start the same way, oh, I've got something I want to tell you. It's like, okay, mate, tell me. They're like, oh, I, um, I, um, I like someone. It's like, you don't say. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I like someone. I'm... Um, let me guess who it is. It's Grace, isn't it? They're like, oh, how did you know? 
How did you know that I liked grace? It used to be this running joke that I just knew everything. But do you know why? Have you ever met a teenager? It's not hard to tell when they like someone. <laughs> because their thoughts are so fixated on that person that it changes their what? Their behavior. If you've got teenagers in the room and they're not like they don't like school that much or they're not that motivated for school and then all of a sudden they start to get motivated from school and they start to dress early and you know you've told them to have a shower and they're finally taking showers and putting deodorant on and all that kind of stuff listen I'm sure you're a great parent but you're not that good probably they like someone it's not hard it's like you oh yeah you mean the girl you've been sitting next to for the last seven services yeah I kind of understood think back if you've, got a, if you've got a partner or you're married or you've got a girlfriend or a boyfriend, maybe you're still in the what they would call the honeymoon stage. But why don't you think back to the first time you started dating or, or to be generationally relevant, courting? <laughs> like Pam and Frank, they courted. They didn't date, they courted. They did meet at a club. But it was called a dance back then or a disco, but tomatoes, tomatoes, it was a club. <laughs> but, you know, I would love to, I would have loved to see you guys when you caught eyes on the dance floor for the first time. I would have liked to see Frank's moves, you know, as they dance together because, you know, love will make you do crazy things, Frank. But can you remember back? Remember that time? You, you know, when I first met Jess, I was a horrible employee. I was working a couple of jobs, but I'll tell you, I was a horrible employee because my mind was fixated on nothing else but her. It's all I thought about. It changed the way that I, that I acted. I drove eight hours to take her out for lunch and drove eight hours home. And I hate driving. I hate driving. But it, cha- it changes you. When your thoughts are fixated on stuff, like I started listening to Ed Sheeran, I found a woman. For the first time ever, I listened to, for the first time ever, I listened to country music. Chris Stapleton, you are the joy of my life. You are the joy of my life. It changes you, you know. You do your hair a little bit different, put on deodorant for the first time. And girls, you know, I'm attacking the boys, but girls, you know, you flick your hair. And oh, yes. <laughs> you fake laugh at everything. And then we realise later when you get comfortable that we're not actually that funny anymore. But it changes. When you fix your eyes on something, it should change the way that you act and that you behave. And so when you and I, the greatest encouragement in Scripture is for you and I to fix our thoughts on Christ. Because when we fix our thoughts on Christ, it actually changes our action as well. And so no matter what you're going through in your life right now, I can give you this encouragement. Fix your eyes. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. The word repentance is metanoia. It means to change your thinking. And it's not a mistake that it means to change your thinking because if you change your thinking, you will change the way that you behave. And so when they said, you know, you thought Jesus was all these things in the book of Acts and then he says, repent, because Jesus is all these things. Change your thinking. As you change your thinking, you will change the way that you behave and act. And so cast your thoughts towards Christ today. The challenge in Hebrews chapter three is this. How's the state of your heart? Don't be quick to dismiss it. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. The encouragement is this, that the antidote to keeping a heart full of faith is not to 
not to diminish the power of gathering together and encouraging each other with the word and fixing your thoughts, no matter the circumstance, no matter the situation, on Jesus. Would you stand with me this morning, church, as we pray? I'm going to give you a moment in just a second to turn your eyes back to Jesus, to turn your hearts back to Jesus, to turn your thoughts back to Jesus. As always, at the end of the service, there's, you know, you're welcome to come down the front. There'll be people who will stand and pray with you if you need prayer, but they're going to sing this song, Be Lifted High. And the reason is, is so we can stand here before we go into our weeks, no matter the circumstance, situation, relational issues, literally anything could be going on in your life right now. And you can make the active choice to fix your thoughts back on Him. And so as we sing this this morning, that's what we're going to do. Let's fix our thoughts back on Jesus. Come on, let's pray this morning. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your word that is sharper than a double-edged sword, Lord God. It divides flesh and spirit, Lord. And I thank you that as you've been dividing, Holy Spirit, as you've been working, as you've been challenging, as you've been encouraging, as you've been moving, as you've been transforming hearts, Jesus, right now we come to you, no matter our circumstance or situation, and we fix our thoughts back on you this morning, Jesus. In the craziness, in the busyness of life, we fix our, we fix our thoughts back on you. Jesus, I pray that we would never forget the power in gathering together, encouraging each other around the Word of God. Lord, If there is any grievous way you find in us, lead us back to everlasting life. For Jesus, lead us into your rest today. Lord, we unharden hearts. Lord, we believe believe you again, Jesus. We put our faith and our trust in what you have said again, Jesus. And who you are again, Jesus. Lord, if we have travelled the path of sinfulness and wickedness. Lord God, we come to you this morning and we ask for your forgiveness afresh. We change our thinking, Lord. We repent. We come back to you. We turn our mind back to you, Jesus. Would you soften our hearts? And as we've heard your word today, would our hearts not be hardened, Jesus? But would you do what only you can do and transform our hearts and our minds? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Come on. Thanks for listening through this message recorded live at Resound Church in Melbourne. You can find out more about who we are online, including our service times and live streams. Have a great week and we'll catch you next time.